Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Coach's Road podcast. Before we jump into today's guest, Mike Wyatt, we just wanted to take a second to say uh, it's been a fantastic summer. Uh, we're both really relaxed and ready to jump back into work and coaching and recording regular episodes. And so we're excited to meet some new people, get some interesting content back out there. It's been also a, a pretty productive summer for, for some of our previous guests. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, previous guests accepting new positions this summer and everything like that. So if you're one of our previous guests, congratulations and, and best of luck in your new positions uh, as you move forward in coaching or teaching or management or whatever it is. Uh, we also have had some success on the international stage with some of our previous guests. So congratulations to the women's softball team uh, from Canada on the gold medal and especially to our former guest, Mark Smith and Dr. Wade Gilbert on their gold medals as well. Today's guest, though, is Mike Wyatt, and we're excited to share this episode around social cultural constraints. It's a really interesting episode, really felt natural the, the way the conversation was going, and it's not all specifically on sociocultural constraints, but, you know, we were talking with Mike afterwards about just what, what we got into and, and how all of those feelings, all of those situations, all of those just things that we were describing, they relate back to sociocultural constraints because everyone reacts to different things differently because of the social cultural constraints on them. So it was a really interesting conversation, got into some interesting areas, uh, and it felt really good just to kind of vent to Mike. He was a great listener and, and someone that you could really kind of open up to pretty easily. So it was great to share with him and, and, and have him on the show. Yeah, I also absolutely love I absolutely love having Mike on the show because um, we need to say that I think during our show we have been also mentioning a few times the learning and development podcast and he has been one of the hosts there. So we touch on that also a little bit and also on the purpose behind the podcast and what, what actually learning and development means and why they were so motivated to get that podcast going. Um, again, I think or we both think that this is an excellent podcast and we can highly recommend it as they cover plenty of different areas but um, before we jump over to Mike today um, first of all because this is our first recording after our summer holiday I would like to ask you first of all how was your summer in general in the states how was everything and have you been taking anything new away for yourself for your coaching just as a person during the past I don't know how many weeks it was 12 weeks you haven't recorded or something I don't know yeah, I don't think it was quite 12, but uh, it's been a while for sure. And, and we did not talk as much as, as um, I think we expected to talk over the break. We were just both relaxed so much and didn't even cross our minds. But anyway, my summer was, was great. You know, I spent a lot of time with family. Uh, my brother just had a baby, so visiting him as well. Uh, shout out little AJ. Um, but, you know, I also got the chance to go to the U.S., select uh camp for the under 16th or the under 17th it's the 16th select camp that still confuses me sometimes but anyway you know i learned a lot there that was a week long in in um amherst in new york i uh, worked with some great coaches met a lot of great coaches and really the thing i took away from that that i'm going to be implementing just into my thinking not really just my coaching is is how good hockey is like that was my first time on the bench for that high level of hockey you know it was some of the best hockey players in america at 16 years old and the speed the skill it was it was 
unlike anything I had experienced coaching under 13s, under 14s, and 12s my whole coaching career, and way better than I played. So, you know, just that that experience and that knowledge now of of what hockey looks like at the highest level from the bench and everything like that 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 that's really what I'm going to be taking away and 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 just using that to kind of guide where I want the development of my players to go and and using all the information of course from the podcast and everything like that and the school and then also knowing where hockey players need to be to be successful hockey players that's um that was something that was really interesting and then also like the the things that they were evaluating you know it was really interesting because skating was not mentioned nearly as much as people would expect you know it was it was really interesting to hear that shooting was something that was talked about a lot and then game sense was something that was talked about a lot but the the skating the lack of skating talk really surprised me how was your summer well, well, first of all, let's stay there a little bit. First of all, congratulations because you're an uncle. So now you gotta, now you gotta buy some presents uh, for yeah. a nephew. Um, and secondly, well, we have been talking a little bit about the camp, and um, it's an awesome. That must have been an awesome experience for you participating there. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you have been also meeting some people we had on our show. And um, I. I have been also participating in the Poyola Lairi, which is the U16 camp for the Finnish national team. So basically it's the same like in the United States. Um, and that has been also for me, my one of my favorite experiences together with the IHF development camp uh, in 2019, uh, where we also, or where I also got, where, where I also got to connect with a few people. But um, just because uh, maybe some of our listeners, they don't know 100% how a camp like this um, goes on and how the hearts everything scheduled so can you maybe tell a little bit about how the entire process was there and then also um can, can you speak a bit more about um that, that entire like environment feeling atmosphere and especially it's very interesting that, that that they did not talk so much about skating and more about like game sense and especially shooting do you know why they talk so much about shooting well I don't know if it was just my coaches or, or anything like that, but, you know, they were talking about elite goal scoring, right? And that ability to just pick your corners and, and shoot where you want the puck to go and the ability to have kind of a deceptive shot. And I think that it just is kind of the natural, at least for our team, like we really struggled with scoring the first few games. Uh, we scored two goals in our first three games and the first two games we didn't score at all, um, which I think was a camp first. But anyway, um, it, it was really interesting because I think they were talking about that because, you know, at that age, that's kind of the next thing you start to control, maybe. I don't know. I need more experience at that age, really. But it was it was interesting. And then for skating, I think, you know, it's not that it wasn't seen as important. Of course, it is important. It's a very important skill in hockey. But, you know, it, it wasn't so much of a concern for these players, you know, and it and it it was it was something that you know maybe was mentioned here and there if someone was really lacking the ability to skate at that level but you know everyone everyone was able to keep up with the game and everything like that then it wasn't that necessary that necessary to talk about and again like i wasn't involved so much with the evaluation so i don't know what was going on like behind the closed doors and everything like that in terms of that but just from the conversations i've heard or i heard it was that it was not mentioned as much as I thought it would be. But overall, um, the, the camp experience 
for that age, it, it was it was a it was an evaluation camp, right? They're trying to make the uh, the tournament team for the Five Nations tournament that is actually starting here in a few days. So good luck to to Coach Mancini and everyone going over there. Um, but you know, it, we had one practice the night that the players arrived, uh, like a morning skate the next morning, and then our first game that second night, and then from there we just had one game a day for the next four days, and then. On the final morning, there was an all-star game and then the team selection. And it was really interesting for me because I was a team leader. Uh, so while we weren't playing, while we weren't at the rink, I was kind of assigned to do some activities for the team. So we did some team building activities. We did, um, you know, meals and everything like that. And and then the players, it was really nice to set up this year. We had kind of a... a small college and so the the players had some autonomy in what they did during their free time and everything like that you know there was volleyball basketball there was a game room and stuff like that um but you know it it was just kind of a it was kind of just a traditional tryout camp in that sense you know the players would play then they would relax and then they'd play again and then relax and it was it was a lot of fun, a really good learning experience. And the coaches, you know, we would just discuss and discuss and discuss and talk about coaching and talk about hockey and everything like that. So it was it was a hockey filled week, and it was it was a good setup for sure. Yeah, that's very similar to my experience I had with the Poirola Lady and also from the entire routine. I I just remember that um, first of all the players have been uh, very nervous when they came there because yeah. it was the first time for them that they had actually the opportunity. <laughs> To put the jersey on and something I remember still very vividly because that's uh, that's a very magical experience. Is um, when they arrive at the first day of the camp in the evening, um, they have the it's it's Leonard's wear. So basically, there's coming uh, one one coach, one finish uh, there. When I was there, there was Yusi uh, Ahokas, um, who is now coaching in Kovola and who was winning the under 20s with Finland. And he was um, reading some statements, and the players have been repeating it. So basically, they um, they showed that they are now loyal to the to the Leonard, which is which is the Lions. So that that was really really cool. And we also had some team building activities, and also just just connecting with the coaches because um, because of that, I got the opportunity to get to know Oli Sabico. We had him on our show as well, so that that was really cool. Um, so I I think everyone. If anyone ever has the opportunity to go to a camp like that, it doesn't matter if it's football, handball, basketball, soccer, hockey, um, you really should use that opportunity because it's a lot of fun. And it's one of the best memories for myself uh, in the last uh, three years I've been spending in Finland overall. But um, regarding my summer, I need to say honestly, uh, I've been resting a lot. Um, I've been also uh, doing some planning. A lot of planning for the for the current season now, and um, something that stood out especially for me during the summer is that uh, I, I really got the opportunity. Um, well, I was with my father in uh, close to Freiburg because I was born there, and um, I, I really got the opportunity during the summer really to study my my, my family background. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is because I just think it's very important to know from where you are, I know, and uh, from where your roots are and everything like that. Um, I just think this way because um, one day maybe you're going to have kids and you want to tell them this is going, this has been happening 
uh, they are uh, what I mean by that is for example I know now very well like uh, what has been doing for example um, my father for my grandfather and even my my from from my father's grandfather his father what they have been doing how everything my family is connected where the roots are so I I really encourage anyone uh, really study your own family background because at the end of the day uh, it's your family and now I'm the first one in my family who has the opportunity to go abroad and experience a little bit Finnish life and hopefully one day uh, I get the opportunity um, to tell my my children uh, if we have one day children <laughs> I mean we need to add that as well um, from where we are and I think um, this was really really fantastic opportunity for me so um yeah that was really cool yeah it's always cool to learn about your, your family history and everything like that and yeah I, yeah and it's um it's really interesting being over here in finland and seeing the the history of just the finnish people and everything like that like we did some tourists my parents were here for a week we did some tourist stuff and also the the history of the of finland and, and where you know, their traditions come from and everything like that. That was, I mean, it's a little bit different, of course, because it's not my family history, but that same kind of thing. And something, some, something else that um, the reason why I'm bringing this up is that first of all, because I think that sometimes this gets a little bit lost uh, when you are, when you are so much in your daily routine. And secondly, I, for myself, I know that like how hard actually my family has been, my, my, my like previous generation has been working to actually have what we have today so i think this is uh very very important and the last point i would like to mention and so like now the season has been started and uh, i hope that now when both our seasons get fully going that uh, during the introductions we can also chat a little bit about the progress about how is everything going i think that will be a lot of fun for me it's it has been it has been a pretty good start uh really trying to emphasize at the moment the values uh, we have been establishing during the summer and as well. Really trying to build intrinsic motivation and the players develop some tools and uh, we have been now practicing two weeks after summer, spent some time during the summer as well. We will, in the future, we'll pursue some team building activities, so I'm really looking forward to that as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and I've just had a week of practice and I, I mentioned some of, some of the the interesting stuff I've been doing um, on the ice here in the episode itself, but it's it's been a good start, and uh, we're gonna do some some team building and some some uh, team management stuff next week, and, and have the players come out and do a hike and everything like that. So that'll be fun, um, and kind of get the ball rolling on the off the ice stuff. Uh, so that's really gonna be fun uh, for sure. But yeah, of course we'll we'll keep everyone updated with how our seasons are going and check in with each other and stuff like that. We see a lot less of each other now that we're not coaching with each other and we're not living in the same place and everything like that, but it'll be fun to, to catch up in those ways. So, yeah, um, I think that's a good place to end the intro uh, and hop over to, to Mike now. Uh, sorry for the elongated intro, but uh, let's get going with Mike and talk about some social cultural constraints and uh, excited to be back to the podcast. now we would like to welcome on Mike Wyatt. Mike, first of all, thanks for taking the time and joining us here today. We need to say that you are our first guest after our break um, and you are currently located in Canada, Nova Scotia. So how is everything going up there? 
Yeah, uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I know it's been uh, a long time trying to put this together. Uh, obviously, navigating the, the return to, to sport here in uh, Canada has been very, very troublesome. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm great. I'm, I'm, I'm very busy, which is something that me, I personally like. Uh, you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm, even if I have nothing to do, I'll somehow still find something uh, and, and task myself to a point where I'm, I'm probably, again, getting into a situation where I don't have a, a healthy balance. But uh, I, I can't complain. Um, I mean, we could start, I guess, with... I guess COVID in Canada in general, but it's I think it's the same in, in the rest of the world right now. I think we're just all starting yeah. to learn to live with this and uh, and move forward. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's the same here as well. But overall, it's a good trait. Like that, there's always something that you need to do. I mean, like that keeps you on your toes. It shows that you're curious about things. So that's 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 very good to have, and that's also huge motivation for us to do the show because we want to keep evolving. We want to keep learning, and all these kind of things. So. Could you go a bit, a little bit um, into your background? So, what sports did you pursue? What did you do as a young man, and what they're doing currently? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, we'll give you the, the synopsis version. So, I grew up in uh, uh, Nottingham, uh, in England. Uh, I spent a lot of my, uh, um, you know, early childhood there in the uh, the urban area of Nottingham, and then we moved out to kind of the rural. Uh, area and always played football was always consumed by football um, you know it was certainly part of my identity as a youngster uh, to the point that when I realized you know it wasn't gonna uh, you know be something as a professional for me it wasn't gonna work out like that for myself I still wanted it to be a part of you know who I was um, so uh, I basically traveled to uh, many parts of the globe coaching football um, you know gaining experience meeting a lot of different people uh, and it was around, I was around about 23 24 when I when I finally had decided that I wanted to you know try and make a, a profession in sport I wasn't actually even at that stage too concerned whether it was you know going to be football knowing how difficult it was to get into um, you know football within England you know you, you the doors are a little bit more closed unless you've got some professional background as a player. So I uh, went and studied uh, a sports development degree there at Nottingham Trent University. Um, it was a, a, a great um, uh, learning experience for me to, to you know get myself prepared for that next chapter, which led me here to, to Nova Scotia. My wife uh, originates from here. So uh, we decided to, to immigrate there full time. Uh, and um, I landed here, got involved in the local football scene, uh, had a variety of different roles in, in different uh, parts of the province. Um, and that's led to different opportunities ranging from, you know, working as a national learning facilitator for Canada Soccer, which I still do privately now. Um, I was the director of uh, Soccer Nova Scotia there for a while, working as uh, the technical director. Uh, and now I'm, I've got to a stage in my career where I honestly just let my curiosity lead me. So I, I take on projects based on what I think is going to motivate me uh, and where I'm, I'm fascinated by. So, yeah, you know, considering a lot of people in sport have, have probably lost their jobs or there's a lot of uncertainty still around their jobs, I'm definitely fortunate uh, at this moment to have carved out something which, I, you know, I do enjoy. I'm really interested in, in something you just said there and, and 
you were speaking about how you're letting your curiosity kind of guide what you do and finding things that motivate you. And, you know, you, you are one of the hosts of the learning and development podcast. Um, and, and that's a, I mean, fantastic podcast for anyone that hasn't checked it out, go check it out. Some great episodes there, but I, I'm wondering, you know, for that, cause I think that's a good example, right? Joining a podcast, hosting a podcast, you know, Rick and I love what we do with this show and everything like that. But it, it's in a good example of letting that curiosity and letting that kind of just what would I be interested in doing guide you. So first of all, what led to that shift? Like, why did you start doing that? But then also, how has that benefited not just your maybe not just your coaching, but also kind of your, your life and your passion and everything like that? Mm, really good question. I mean, I, I, first thing I say, it's, it's been fluid um, as well. I mean, recently, you know, you you you. you you changed jobs as I did, um, took a risk by stepping down from the role as the director for the province um, to, you know, maybe take on other new projects, which you do. And then you take on other opportunities and additional opportunities to the point where you, you again, you feel like you've got too much going on so you can start to step back from others again. And it's just been a process, a fluid process over time that now I think I'm at a stage where, you know, one of my values as a human being is I, I work extremely hard um i always go in with a, a kind of a beginner mindset um but I'll, I'll always give my all and um i think that's a value that most people um, appreciate from me um sometimes i think that passion as well can can frighten some people depending on the audience but um yeah it's it's i feel very fortunate and, and leading to the kind of like you know this the choice part i mean with the podcast in particular you know mark o'sullivan that i'm sure many people have, are aware of on your show uh has been a great mentor to me um he, he's somebody that I, I i i hold very dearly to me as somebody i can speak to and and you know i love obviously every time he, he, he puts something out i can read and, and ask questions if if necessary um, and when i was on that show in, in in particular you know COVID had just hit we weren't quite sure what this was going to look like uh, we keep, we were still curious to keep learning and talking to people. Uh, life slowed down a bit, so it opened up some uh, uh, doors there for us. And I was just, honestly, uh, whether this is right or wrong, it was kind of very selfish involvement for me because I was getting to speak to so many, uh, you know, uh, experts in certain fields. And I was just like the one trying to, I guess, lead the flow of the, the conversation, but honestly, just listening and learning. Um, and I do miss it. Um, I think, you know, it's like everything, uh, as I said, it's fluid, you know, uh, Britain's got things happening there in, in the U S and, uh, obviously the, uh, the sports system is a, a bit further ahead. I think in the U S with the return to play with COVID and, and Mark again is, uh, you know, still doing things, uh, there at AIK and, um, you know, taking on more roles. So it's just, it, we've been so busy just trying to, I think, get to a point where we can start having those chats again, but, uh, I'm sure it'll, uh, it'll, present itself at the right time um, and we'll, 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 we'll do something with that. Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of people, including myself, would absolutely love if you guys will come back at some point at some point, because when the COVID thing started, I need to say that I tuned in every epi, uh, every week. And um, as you said as well, you guys had so many valuable guests on and so many different perspectives perspective, and you covered so many different topics. I mean, you guys talked about session designing, about social culture constraints and then you always preach that you need to keep evolving you need to keep learning and especially you need to discover so i, I really like this this 
these question-based discussion and it was very very open round and uh, very good points you guys touched also a lot of in the constraints that approach i i always like when when mark was uh marcus sullivan was giving his perspective on this as well um and overall because you have a for that podcast um you had a very very interesting name so the name is learning and development and for those um who are not too familiar with this podcast what what was the purpose behind learning and development what does it actually mean well it's it's something i don't know if you've been following some of mark's uh, work recently i mean he's he's uh, they've taken this one step further now so for anyone who is interested you know in the concept when we decided what we're going to call this you know when we kept calling learning and development and and really they're, they're very fluid i mean they're, they're not exclusive each other you're always always growing you know as you as you as you grow and, and attain more information you know you, you you start to learn because there's more affordances in front of you around what you now know because you, you you see things see things through different lenses so i mean I, i'll definitely give mark his kudos on that i mean it was more so his suggestion um and it's great to see it actually now become full circle in the work that they're doing there at aik um they, they've put in some uh, some really good um you know um, models together that's helping guiding you know their framework and, and the way that they go about developing human beings there in 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 sweden um so yeah credit to them and, and i've actually picked it apart as well and you know my private little consultancy thing that i i do um my company name here in canada is also learning in development so you know it's it's, it's it was a really great opportunity in the moment that's led to so many things for me um and uh yeah it's just as i say to really probably go full circle on your on your answer there it, it's fluid you know like we always think things are exclusive or absolute to one thing or the other and it, it really isn't yeah and i i think you know one of your episodes on that show and and, and rick just mentioned it a second ago this idea of social cultural constraints because now i want to i want to shift the conversation that way because that's something that i think is is really interesting but maybe not talked about all that much if you think about it uh in the in the grand scheme of like coach education and everything like that so can you quickly just kind of describe the idea of social cultural constraints what are they what do they mean everything like that but then also why why are they not talked about why are they not mentioned why are they not brought up as much as perhaps they should be well it's, that's quite a, a a loaded question because i think we're still um even the research you know it, it's still got a long way to go from from particularly the, the research that i've been exposed to and you know for your listeners right uh, straight away I, i'm not an expert in this field uh, either I, it's something that's just fascinates me living here in canada um, you know, there's so many deeply um, kind of rigid traditionalist norms here. Um, and, and it, you know, I'm sure it's, it correlates to the North American sports system. You know, the more I try and read about that, um, you know, and how that affects my day to day. You know, I, I'm working here with, you know, amateur based athletes, community athletes, recreational athletes. And yet, you know, these these sporting norms, um, these social cultural perspectives um are constraining what we're trying to do on the ground so you know the podcast that we i was involved in there with mark and britain i mean we talked about this a lot around culture and and the importance of investigating one's culture um by but being you know aware that you know 
there's so many great um, examples of, of uh, organizations or individuals um, applying, you know, something unique to, to where they live in, in the context of the world, but knowing and being careful that it not necessarily would translate to where you live because of those, you know, those constraints that are in play within the context of where you live. Um, and again, if you, I mean, Martin Rothwell, who's a PhD researcher from Sheffield Hallam, he was one of our guests. And, you know, if you, if you just Google him alone, you'll find a lot around, uh, you know, some research that they've done kind of focuses a little bit more on the athlete um, as an individual. Um, and there's not a lot of research around just the environment as a whole. And I think we do need to recognize, you know, the, the complexity of the holistic environment and what, you know, social cultural constraints do to, to, to shape the athlete's experience there. Um, but he's, he's, as I said, he's one of the uh, experts, particularly in this, this concept of form, form of life um and how that you know kind of is more so the theory associated to why these constraints exist um but it fascinates me and, and I, I don't i'm sure depending on who's listening you know if i shared my experience or some of the perspectives i have with canada um you know you i'm sure there's some principles of that you know opinion perspective that they'll probably be able to relate to but again it's going to be unique to to us it's going to be unique to the way that we behave here so it's that's 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 a very very interesting point that we when we think about that um, that there are certain things that are similar but then there are there are also certain things that are different. Let's say for example there are some things the same way uh, here in Finland than in Canada, but I can also imagine that there are a lot of things different. So based on your experience and based on conversations you had uh, with experts and in general with people that um, like. Let's 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 stay in your sport, for example. Um, so let's take soccer. And again, and um, based on your experience, what what have been from the conversation you had? What have been very similar to some cultures, but what have been very very different to where you are located currently? Ooh. If that is a fair question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think what's happening. We're in the age. We're in a time anyway where we're in this notion of sports consumer, and I think that's affecting a lot of places. I think depending on, you know, the 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 football development or the football history of, of a particular country, but I think as a whole, I think we're we're moving, particularly North America. Um, you know, it's it's a very very pay to play system here. So this 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 notion or age of a sports consumer and. I think what fascinates me around, you know, I think it's starting to happen across all of the world. And I think this is where like, you know, the likes of uh, AIK with Mark putting, um, you know, not putting the onus on selecting players um, at early ages, all of this will, will certainly shape the culture of that particular organization or the subculture of that, that, that city there with, with reference to their club. But I mean, if you think of the sports consumer, I'm sure it's the same in Finland, but we start to place value on athletes um around their specific worth and what i see what i see whether it was even in england or whether it was here in canada once we start you know putting immense value on the athletes around what they're worth it ultimately translates to some of the poor parent behavior or the poor stakeholder behaviors that we're seeing and and we're kind of fueling that anti-social toxic environment which then becomes very difficult to navigate when you're trying to do what's in the best interest of kids but 
again, it, it, then, you know, I'd say the differences for Canada with, say, somewhere like maybe England or Germany or wherever it is, is then understanding, well, what is the value of or uh, the, the metrics that you measure, you know, someone's experience? And here in Canada, it, it's, it seems to be more around winning um, and the importance of the value of, of winning. And, you know, if their child is winning, therefore their, their worth is, 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 is certainly getting higher within the context of their, their social group or their community. I mean, I can only imagine, you know, when they get have their dinner with their friends of friends and my child, you know, won 7-0 today. And, and now all of a sudden that, that athlete's worth is getting more, you know, but it's reality it isn't. Uh, you know, if we if we take a huge step back, you know, that's not really what we should be valuing. Uh, but I think that all relates to this this notion that we've it's, it's such a like we've become a, a an, an age of sports consumers versus maybe what it was a slightly different even 20, 30 years ago. Um, and I think that's down to money. I think that's down to you know the external influences of the system in general. Um, you know, in North America here, you can turn on the telly and there'll be 12 sports channels um you know all showing something very similar and really you know highlighting you know the pro metrics of what you know we should be i guess validating as worthwhile and, and then it, obviously it comes down to the you know the the amateur level and and that's what the consumer then starts to measure and it gets really messy so i would say that that, that honestly when i listen to people i think everyone's struggling with that right now um, whether it's down directly down to the fact that, you know, in North America, it's such a high pay to play system. And therefore, you know, that, that, that weight of value is, is, is also, you know, skewed there. Um, but I would definitely say even in, you know, football developed countries, Germany, England, um, et cetera, I know that that's still a, a, a problem, you know, cause you, you, you see all the different campaigns, uh, around, you know, trying to get parents to, to, recalibrate what value is or what how they should be behaving within the context of their children's experience so um yeah so that's a i guess that kind of answers your question many ways it, it the similarities with the principle of it but it can differ also based on those things we talked about those and you know those social um or historical social constraints within the context of a given country so when you I think when you also dive into the the pay to play system, right? Like for example, I know in the US for a lot of clubs if you have the under 12 age group, you know, the top team, those players are actually paying more to play than yeah. the bottom team, right? And so that that again just feeds into that cycle of um or that that societal norm nowadays of hey, you know, I'm playing, I'm paying more for my kid to play hockey. So my kid must be better than, than your kid because, you know, I have to pay another thousand bucks to, to yeah. play on this top team. And that's yeah. like it, when you actually start to think about stuff like that, it, it's so interesting because then you also mentioned that at the end there, the taking things that you see on TV and trying to implement them into the, you know, everyday clubs, the local clubs, the grassroots clubs, everything like that, you know, it, that's what's expected, but that's not really what works, right? Because, well, first of all, they're not professionals, they're not, you know, top athletes or anything like that. But then also, you know, what happens at the NHL level or the Premier League level or whatever level, that's not the type of training that's not going to, that's going to work in our local club that has different social cultural constraints, you know, and I think a, 
a good example of that is a very obvious one for hockey is you know you look at the nhl they play that on a small rink so the type of hockey they play doesn't really translate to the way that we can practice over here on the big rink right and so that's a a very obvious example but i think it's a good one where it shows just exactly like you can't take what happens at the national level or the the highest level and translate that down yeah i want to i mean if you don't mind me just quickly adding to no of course um you know it's it becomes quite a highly valued commodity you know winning as as a term because you bang on it leads to this notion of then elitism and being you know you know having a superiority against you know your peers or, or the team next to you and and that's then fueled by being able to charge more um but i mean reality is is you know at that age you mentioned 12 as an example you know to be successful at those ages you really you just take a reductionist approach you know you you don't play the game you don't you don't encourage the players to you know be creative and invite them to to make mistakes you, you go the opposite way and, and then by default we end up um you know really in my opinion anyway from my experience um hindering people's real potential um but again it all comes down to to, to the, again if, if you know this consumerism of sport and this notion that winning is such a commodity that we must must have so we can charge more and it's it's such a it becomes such a um a, a, a very weird continuum it just keeps feeding itself um and i think that's why we we're in a position here where i was hoping the, the pandemic would have broken what that value is what how we value the the child's experience in, in sport because they've gone for so long where they've not been able to have that 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 commodity that they've been used to crave you know just simply getting on the pitch and being physically active okay. and, and mentally active should be now valued further but i mean my my initial um observations is we are you know we're just repeating the same mistakes we're just wanting to quickly get back to to those those existing norms whether whether they're you know you know deeply entrenched in the history of where we're from or i don't know but it's just a shame because it's just showing again as human beings as a, as a society anyway that we really haven't learned anything um and, and, uh, even when we're at our brink yeah and it's really interesting there because you know i i don't want to put anyone on blast when i say this but it seems it seems like communities have found the value of movement more. You know, a lot of people went out and started to, you know, they just started to go for a daily walk or, um, you know, maybe they picked up running or some sort of, everyone went on Amazon and bought a home gym at some point during um, the last year, right? So it's like we found the value or it seemed that we found the value of moving more, but then we increased the value of organized movement for kids, right? And so... The reason I say that is because I just I just saw the other day an eight and under camp poster from um, a club in the U.S. for you know it's a it's a three day camp they get four or five ice touches or something like that and and it's it's like to to prepare for the upcoming season and everything like that and then there's this huge price tag on it right for four skates it's almost as much as the entire season is and so it's like you know it's going it's you're finding the value of movement, but then you're also increasing the value of organized movement. And that seems so backwards. And I was, I was in the same boat as you were, I was hoping where it would be, you know, 
hey, let's take a step step back and actually realize what's important here. It's not the price tag; it's the the quality. You know, are the kids enjoying it? Are they wanting to come back and everything like that? But it it, it again, it seems to to go the wrong way sometimes. But um, anyway, I wanted to to ask you a little bit more about kind of how do we apply different learning tools and, and different models and everything like that because you hear a lot in coaching about you know frameworks and exactly models and everything like that and we had a uh, uh, Dr. Stephen Norris on to talk about some long-term athlete development stuff and there's so many models within long-term athlete development but it's it's hard to take just one model and apply it to athletes in this country or that country or anything like that can you explain a little bit how we can use, or in your opinion, how we can use these kind of tools and everything like that, but then also manipulate them to, to kind of fit what our club and our local athletes need? It's difficult because, I mean, you know, you see all these different models um, and, they're, they're, you know, someone's designed them with some type of context in mind most of the time. I mean... You know, you're seeing even long-term player development or long-term athlete development right now being completely um, ripped apart in many in many ways, just due to how kind of rigid and you know linear it really is. Um, I think with 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 any good framework, and I, I you know as part of my um, career right now is I'm, I'm, I do support other leaders across the country here on trying to um, you know. I guess be more effective planners um, with with what it is they're trying to do with reference to the communities that they serve, and we're always talking about you know frameworks or or, or development models and models can be dangerous as we know, um, so I I always like to go with frameworks because I think it becomes flexible, and and whereas a model can be quite rigid, and I think like any good framework you know it's principally driven, um, it's not you know it's not absolutes and. You know, again, without taking this into a, a, a much deeper, darker space, I just think as, as human beings, you know, we're always after, you know, absolute answers, black and white. And the reality is, you know, the game, the game, particularly football as a game and sport as a whole, it just lives in that shade of grey. Um, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a method of coaching one player or group of players, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to change, you know, your approach by getting to know them as human beings, because as, as, as we've said, and for anyone that's obviously listened to our podcast, you know, we're, we're not machines. We're, com- we're very complex, uh, um, um, co- complex beings. We're not complicated beings. Um, so yeah, I mean, there is no right way to, to do anything here. Uh, you have to understand, you know, the people that you su- you're supposed to be uh, supporting and, and, and assisting and helping. But can you somehow have some kind of framework that, that's, you know, principally driven or guiding your behaviors um, to, to be flexible and adaptable to the, the types of people that you're dealing with? Because they are as well. They're all, they're all unique. They're all different. Um, and, and that's really the art of coaching. It's, it's, it's knowing what you need to do or what you can do to invite that other human being at the other end to to you know behave or act in another different way that's the art of all of it yeah and i and i think also that what goes back to that as well as you've been mentioning i think it's it's a really good point first of all thinking about the framework as a guideline okay this is for example guiding the way how we would like to develop let's say soccer players 
in Nova Scotia. But mm. then at the end of the day, still then I think then we also then again, we need to consider the individual, the experience of the individual overall, like what he has been doing in the past, what kind of sports has he been playing? Uh, and what kind of household did he grow up or she grew up? Uh, what kind of mindset has been emphasizing towards the player maybe? And also speaking a little bit about the experience I've been ma I've been making so far this year with my team. It's it's you can really see that if we speak about this mindset because I strongly believe that it all starts with this, and you can really see that there are some players who have been there who are a little bit more mindset driven, who really have the competitive touch. Let's put it this way. And some players you just need to preach it a little bit more, and you just need to emphasize it towards them. But maybe then on the other side these kind these players who are who have like overall like already a more matured mindset or a more competitive mindset need to work on something else such as um becoming more self-confident or maybe it's even something on the pitch in your case or in my 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 case something in in the game something mentally that is distracting them from towards where they could be if they get this so i think it's like it's like very connected everything like a framework is very good to have but then it, it, I think that also goes back to the principle of like that is in coaching we always need to adapt to um, to the to everything what happens um, if it's just if it's just the plan we run then sometimes we need to adapt the activities and I think the same way we need to adapt to the people as well well I mean what I mean for, for my sport particularly um, I think any invasion based sport game you know it's 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 there's so much chaos in it you know those highly um, competent players adapt so if we know that that is a skill set of the athlete then surely we have to be you know demonstrate the same behaviors if we want our players to adapt we have to be able to adapt and and i mean a, a, a question that i you know and, and i mean i'll actually i'll throw it at you folks um you know one of the questions that i i'm always um curious about is you know why what is this relationship on how coaches do become kind of entangled in these really dominant pedicle ideologies and they when, when i say this they're the ones that usually aren't adaptable but this there's clearly something that's happening because they, they exist everywhere they're so dominant um and we know that they're probably not as effective with contemporary youth etc but they exist um, I, I talk to it a lot with the coaches that I get to, to mentor um, on, on the course. Um, you know, we have to be adaptable as, as, as human beings so that we can, you know, you know, encourage the adaptability of the people that we're working with. And to do that, these, these you know, the pedagogies that we're using need to change for, for many, many people. And I just, again, I, I ask the question, why, why, why are they so dominant? Why, why why aren't they changing? And I think it comes back to probably the first questions you've asked me. I think it's the, the, the social, cultural, you know, um, resilience of that, 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 that country or the, the, the people that are observing. I mean, here in North America, you know, those, those um, non-flexible coaching pedagogies are perceived as coaching here. You know, if the yeah. coach is telling the person what to do, directing the traffic, they're perceived as being a very good coach. Um, but we're not, you know, if we're talking about just just purely in the in the conversation and the standpoint that we're talking about about adaptability, these players aren't you know being asked or being invited to be adapt adaptable. They're being basically told what to do. They're performing a given action or a, di a given decision 
basically being programmed by their coach but it's all it's all you can see how it's such a such a very very complicated web everything we keep talking to you can easily go back to the social cultural constraints of where you live and why they exist yeah mike are you are you familiar with the the miracle on ice story with usa hockey no, I, I see it on Disney Plus all the time. And I watch it. <laughs> you should watch it. <laughs> it's a it's a fantastic movie, but it's it it's interesting because it, it relates to this a little bit, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But quickly for anybody else that doesn't know, um, in nineteen eighty, the U.S. went to the Olympics with a group of college players, and the Soviet Union at the time had been winning every championship, every gold medal, uh, and they were basically just a uh, hockey powerhouse for. I think 20 plus years at that point. And they they call it Miracle on Ice because in the, the semifinals of the Olympics, the, the US team actually beat the Soviet Union, which no one expected. And, and obviously it was the kind of the height of the Cold War and everything like that. So there's a lot of political uh, stuff involved as well. Um, and then they went on and beat, uh, I think it was Sweden. Um, and I'm an American, so I should know who they beat. But um, I think they beat Sweden in the, the finals to win the gold medal with just a, a group of college kids. And so they call it the miracle on ice because at the time it was a miracle. And and I think how it relates to the conversation now is I was fortunate enough to, to spend a week at one of the USA Hockey National Camps this last week for the under, um, under 17. So it was the 16th select camp. And they, they preached this message to the kids that like, hey, this was a miracle. But it's not a miracle for the U.S. to win a gold medal in hockey anymore. It's, it's expected, you know, and it's, it's an every year type of thing. And I think that it, it's really interesting to change that perspective because a lot of those coaches probably get entrenched in to the, hey, how was the miracle team coached? How was the, how was the teams I were coached on? How, how did we have success? It was this type of training. But then if you think about, you know, where USA Hockey is at now with the producing the type of players it is now and winning gold medals year after year, then, you know, it, it kind of switches. And there's all these stats that, you know, we're, we're starting to, in the last like 10 years, we've won more gold medals than Canada at the World Juniors. I won't get into that and I won't um, blast Canada here. But anyway, it's a really interesting perspective to switch. And I was really glad to hear that message from them because it is exactly that it's and and now it needs to get out to the coaches that like hey we're not we're not stuck on this we're not stuck on what made the miracle team happen now we're how do we win our next gold medal what what pedagogies what trainings which everything like that needs to happen to win our next gold medal so i think that that is part of that mindset you were talking about that historical kind of entrenchment um that that kind of happens for coaches and they say well there's has always worked this is how the teams in the past have had success so this is how the teams in the future will have success but i think we all all know that that's kind of changing nowadays yeah and and uh you know it, it, it's so fascinating because obviously that the, these people that uh have these in you know entrenched beliefs is probably assigned to their identity on how they see themselves within within society and the community that they probably live in you know, and to change maybe to some of these more, um, you know, contemporary, let's use the word contemporary, if you will, but contemporary uh, pedagogies that, that they may be not comfortable or familiar with, you know, 
maybe they're maybe in their minds they feel like they that's it them admitting they're wrong but that doesn't mean that's what's happening at all um it just means that we're in a different phase of of, of the game the, the the environment is changing and as coaches we need to change with it and the we know that the the, the our clientele and the people that are in our stakeholders the players even the parents on how they parent now compared to 10 years ago it's all changing um, and we have to evolve with it. I mean, and that's why, you know, in terms of frameworks, the one, you know, that I, I feel like it's really hard to ignore is just the constraint-led approach framework. I mean, it, you know, it, it embodies everything that we as a living being need to be aware of. Um, but, you know, there's still people out there that will argue and debate that. And, and, and so they should, you know, because if, if we can't defend it, then it doesn't stand up anyway. Um, you know, but... You know, we, we have to, I'm always fascinated why those, those, those pedagogies are just so deeply rooted within the sporting system. And, you know, I guess as, as the theme of this episode will probably be, I think it always leads back to those norms. Yeah. And, and I think, I think too, like if you want to flip that and I, and I, I, we, we study a lot, the, the constraints led approach, and that's actually becoming part of the curriculum at the program nowadays and, and with the new changes and everything like that there's going to be a, a class on skill development led by someone that was on your podcast um uh vladimir um and and it's going to be i think it's really going to be really interesting and, and part of my my job hopefully i'm going to be working with him on that i haven't asked him that yet so vlad if you're listening i'd like to help you with that um but anyway um so i think it's going to slowly move towards that right and especially as more kids become coaches that have grown up in this kind of environment where their past coaches have used CLA and everything like that, then it's just going to become more and more that norm. But I think it's also like, to your point there, it's, it's important to not get entrenched into, Hey, CLA is the only way, right? right. Like, totally agree. you know, it, the, the book itself says it's not the, the magic bullet. You need to have other things. You need to be able to adapt just as well. And I think, that that is also like if I look at America, right? And and America is a pretty divided country, which I think is is fair to say, and I think every American would pretty much agree on that. Um, but it, it at least in the states, that seems to be what happens with everything. You know, whether it's political or not, everything is a hey, you have to do this, or hey, you cannot do that. And and I think that the it goes deeper into that into that coaching area as well. It's like, hey, we have to do it blocked or we have to do it open. And there's no in-between at all. And I think that's also part of it, at least in the States, from my experience, that's also part of the reason why that it is so hard to get out of that mindset of this is right, this is wrong, because it's with everything in the States. It's There's no area there for, for debate or, you know, discussion or anything like that because it's just like, hey, I'm right, you're wrong no more talking all about great. it and it's it's all great interesting yeah, yeah totally great. it's all great and i mean to the point that the cla is not the magic bullet it's not but the the principle should guide at least guide you to to go deeper into how you're right. designing tasks i mean that's all it is right. i mean and it's funny you mentioned young players who've gone through it coming out the other side and starting to give back and be coaches it's so fascinating I, you know if i was to probably ask them you know what cla is they probably wouldn't be able to tell you at all 
but the behaviors that they demonstrate as uh, you know uh, somebody running a session and interacting in the environment with the athletes they are literally exhibiting the behaviors they're just not even aware of it because uh, they probably um, you know uh, picked it up through osmosis of being in those environments themselves yeah I think overall with the CLA and um, it's 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 definitely a very very interesting concept because as you have been saying as well it summarized a lot of like organic movement task constraints uh, there and also involved task constraints environmental and then um, um, individual constraints or in the like um, book language um, the organism as well and but for me it's like it's very interesting when you work with the constraints that approach a little bit also in, in, in practices and you throw some task constraints in, in, a, in let's say in a smaller game and um, or you make certain areas smaller I need to say that for example my experience is that um, some of the players they absolutely don't like it um, they feel absolutely unco absolutely uncomfortable and um they will also tell you that you don't like it but i also think on the other side they don't like it and they feel uncomfortable because first of all they're not used to it um, but secondly then on the other side you also need to think about um, motivation about intrinsic motivation about increasing competence and all these kind of things but then on the other side you also need to think about if you really care about development then you should maybe do stuff in very small spaces for example, today we played also normal smaller game three against three, and then we then we went down to the an ice hockey area with a ringed line. So then it's it's very small, and we had some passing constraints there as well. In, um, and then you can really see that the players don't like it. But if you really care about development, if you really care about making players better, that's like personally for me where I'm a little bit in a twist between okay, how do I balance that? motivation and competence thing from players versus i i give you the opportunity to develop yeah well it's funny you mentioned that i think that this is a, a, con, a conundrum that a lot of coaches go through particularly those uh you know we, we've got some coaches that are going through the the senior performance stream and um you know they're identifying um maybe problems that their team is struggling with or not able to solve they, you know they're creating environments that maybe they don't necessarily are not too too you know motivated to to be a part of but i think it comes down to you know some of those other frameworks because this is the key with all it you need you need to expose yourself to as many different you know theoretical frameworks as possible and as you say you, you dabble in in what you need when you need it and you know transformational leadership principles would be number one into trying to get the players to understand you know why they're doing what they're doing or even bringing them into the co-creation of that um you know so yeah it's uh it, it's 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 certainly a the the the, the skill set of a coach is you know it's it's one of the hardest things to do because you're dealing with people and you mm. know people are not easy we're very yeah. very we can be very very difficult and and then again it's like it's very interesting based on my observations then you have always players who say okay this is good this is fun can we keep doing it and on the upper side you have players who who say that um um we don't like this at all and we don't want to do this anymore and then you are there so what should you do what are you supposed to do and then again we when if you think about development and if you think about that <laughs> it's the name of your podcast as well that 
development or learning takes place in development you really need to think about that like how do we actually approach the situation so the player has actually the opportunity to get better or get something out of the session or even understands why the player is doing what we are doing and sometimes i need to say also for myself that uh, sometimes that gets a little bit lost because you're so concerned with running the practice and that everything is going smoothly and uh, but this is like a very essential because uh, if you just do something then um, then it's like then 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 it then the, then it doesn't relate 100% to any invasion game what you play it doesn't matter if it's so, uh, football um, ice hockey basketball handball it really doesn't matter yeah I, I mean the takeaway for me there would be do you know your why of why you're doing it and do they do they understand the why and if they understand you know together what why we're doing this you know you would hope for the sake of the time and commitment that they're putting into the the the, the sport that they're involved in that they would want to do it you know even if it's not mm -hmm. their fun. i mean i don't think you've you know I, there's only probably a fair few of us that really really like you know defending you know you, you, you even on a coaching course if i say we're doing an attacking um, classroom session, whether it's uh, in the classroom or on the pitch, you know, people's shoulders and heads perk up. If you say defending, they all put their heads down. It's like there's an, an immediate like, well, I'm like, well, if you're, if we're defending, there's obviously someone's attacking, like, you know, but exactly. it, it, again, it, it's, it's how you rephrase it for them so they can understand why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think like hiding, I don't know, it might, it might sound bad, but hiding the, you know, defending, part of it right like having some sort of constraint where it's like you know y you as a coach you know your overall goal is to to work on defense here but you you frame the constraint in a way that you know it makes it seem like you're working on the attacking so the the players feel that a little bit more and, and i i think you know the problem as i'm saying that the problem there is that with the intentions you know knowing why you do something leads a lot into your motivation to do that and i think that's part of this that's one part of the cla that isn't talked about um maybe enough in my opinion is is setting the intentions for the players on why you're doing something you know and and the ability i heard somewhere someone sometime that you know a good coach has the ability to make anything fun but i think you know it it it, it makes it more sense to say that like a good coach can really motivate their players to to do anything because they give them a good why they give them you know the good reason this is why we want to work on this particular thing you know you may not necessarily like it you may you may think it's too challenging or too hard or anything like that but but kind of trust it a little bit this is why we're doing it this is what you'll get out of it and and go from there and you know, I, I really liked what you talked about the, the co-creation there, because then you can bring them in and say, uh, well, maybe a step back from co-creation, but kind of just talking about what you're going to do and, 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 and talking to them with, with that while you're thinking about, hey, we need to work on this. I was thinking about doing this because you would be able to work on, on this sort of skill or this type of, um, you know, game phase or anything like that. And then they have a better idea you know, maybe not necessarily co-creation, but co-planning almost, where it's like, hey, you have an idea, and then you talk about it, like I just explained. Co-debrief as well, you know, just yeah. debrief, co you yeah. know, going through it together. And I think to your point there is, you know, uh, if your sessions have consequence, 
I mean, it, it, that mm. principle of consequences, you know, you're going to, you're going to get the why anyway, because they're going to have to explore that. Um, and, and, and mm. maybe the art is, you know, you reward the attackers um, and that's the consequence for the defenders. And really the focus is defending. I mean, I, I've also heard a lot of different things like, you, you know, how far do you go into the why and the what at the beginning of a session to motivate them? Because if you go too far, do you uh, constrain their creativity? Because now mm. they have already been primed to solve the problem based on the in the based on purely the pre-brief of the session. Yeah. Um, so, again, there's there's a little, you know, I think, again, knowing your audience, knowing the age, knowing the need. You know, sometimes you probably do give them a, and prime them with some of the behaviors that you're looking for. Other days you won't because you want them to, you don't want to affect their thinking. You want to see how they solve the problem. And I think, you know, again, if we understand it's great and it's, it's not, neither one is right nor wrong. And you actually use them based on, you know, the needs of the athletes and, and, and what you're trying to accomplish. Then, you know, most of the time you're going to be an effective person with, with, with those people. Yeah, and then also I think on top of that, to add this here, I think then how often do you emphasize the why? Because mm -hmm. if you emphasize the why, first of all, it means you talk as a coach and sometimes um, that takes some time. And that means the consequence of this is um, if you are talking that then you take some playing time away for the players. So um, how often should you emphasize the why so it's actually so players actually understand and it's implemented and uh, implanted in them but on the other side that as you said as well that, that they have the opportunity um to explore the activity yeah and it's fluid you know you may need to be pulled out and re-emphasized and have a chat together whereas other times it might be a group it might be no one i mean it, it, it it's all on being observant and 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 collecting the affordances that you think that are there for the, the players that for, to help us support the players yeah the best yeah. coaches are observant the best coaches are observant they're not, yeah. they're, not they're not chatting away they, they, they're, they're observant and they're watching um and you know I, I it's funny a, a mentor of mine not mark used to say like you know the moment you become comfortable in your skin and and you know you're not it's not gonna be perfect ever you know, but just being comfortable knowing that um, you, your intentions are correct and you're observant and you and you you know you'll be fine. I think that's part of the maybe as young coaches who are listening, like everyone's concerned about the maybe the stress of what others are thinking, uh, and therefore that's why they they adopt you know certain ways of coaching because they're so concerned with the I guess what their perceived what they think the perceived norms of the of the skills of the you know the profession of coaching should look like. Um, it's it's a fascinating, you know. I, I hear it all the time from coaches. I want to do this, but I do that because I'm worried about what they think, all the time. Yeah, yeah. I I just went through that this week, you know, and it it, it was interesting for me because I I I like to think that I'm a very confident, like I'm confident in what I do because I I I have the theoretical knowledge right I, I study a lot i read a lot of articles and everything like that but then you know actually going to do it that's a different type of confidence almost because yeah. you know you have to you have to actually do it and and this week was a little bit tough because i took six or seven weeks off of coaching and and that's probably the longest break of coaching that i've had since i started coaching and and it was really difficult for me this this last week i had three two practices in a game um to get back into it and 
and I'm still not all the way back into it, not shaking all the rust off, but you know, it, it was a kind of a confident shaking week because of that. You know, I was constantly thinking, okay, you know, why did I actually do that? What are people going to think? We were playing, um, you know, just briefly the last 20 minutes of every week for our practices one player gets to select a game from a, a book of games and they get to play it. And the game that the player selected for the first week of practice this week was um, soccer. So we played soccer on the ice and we had the, a parent and uh, one of the other parents and, and the team manager watching and the whole time, the whole 20 minutes I was like, okay, what are they thinking? Like what, what, how is this going to come back like poorly on me? And, and it, it's really easy to kind of fall into that as a, Anyway, now I'm just kind of venting here. But anyway, it's easy to fall into that as a young coach, I think. So that's, a, a yeah. I think, a really important message there. So thanks for sharing that, Mike. But you're, you're in a voice. You're in a voice. Is, it can be, I mean, if you look at the way, the, I mean, again, I'm not by any means, am I a, you know, someone who's an expert within the context of cognitive development and the brain. But, you know, our brain naturally takes us down negative chains of thoughts you know, it puts us on those tracks. It's, it, I mean, that's why the mental skill coaches exist yeah. because, you know, the brain defaults to that and you've got to be comfortable in your skin. And I think if I go back, to, I said to you earlier about if our players have to be adaptable, coaches have to be adaptable. If you want your players to make mistakes, to learn in development, then the coach has to make mistakes to learn in development. It's part and parcel of the process. You know, we, 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 have to, we have to be comfortable with knowing that we're going to make mistakes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was busy writing that quote down for the the Instagram because I think that's going to be the the show quote right there. If you're if you want your players to to learn in development, then you need your coaches to to learn in development too. Because I think that's forgotten a lot too. Is that you know coaches are should be learning as well, right? Learning along with the athletes and everything like that. So I think that's um I think that's a really important message as well for for coaches out there when they especially when you think about the social cultural constraints like we talked about and i would say maybe more the first half of the show but you know it, it i think it's okay to to try different things and 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 you know see how they work in this culture or that culture or this club or with this group of athletes and then as long as you're kind of reassessing and and evaluating and, and like what you said observing and, and seeing how they work and seeing how the athletes take to it and develop in it and everything like that yeah and i also think actually that's that's pretty funny that we talk about this right now because that's something i've been thinking about as well that overall that actually now let's say when we when we have practice overall or you have the entire season actually and you coach younger teams and um you you, you as a coach you know these players they pay money and in some sports or also in soccer in some regions uh, they pay a lot of money and you actually get the opportunity to coach them but at the same time even though they pay money you get the opportunity to get experience and to try things and also to mess up things so you don't i it's it's not easy to do and i'm also not really good at it but it's not like you don't need to feel the pressure okay only because they pay money i need to do this 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 because i think like an overall expo exposure to different things uh, can be very very beneficial something just like derek said playing football on the ice or handball on the ice or um i don't know for if if if, if we do for warm-up instead of uh, using um 
instead of using tennis balls and hockey we can also use a football there we can do the same things there as well so uh, um, I think feeling comfortable uh, with this uh, is not easy because it's it's very uncomfortable and it's it's a huge mental thing and then um, there, there I think there are a lot of elements that go into that as well yeah it's a mindset you bang on it, you know but you, if you go into the, the the session whether it's a u10 group and you've coached u10s for years you know you're on a journey there's no destination you've, you've not reached the destination of being a top u10 coach you're on a new journey with a new set of people who bring completely different um, constraints to how you have to manage that environment and that's that you just got to be comfortable with that um, and you're right it's, it's not it's not easy at all but I think the more we can become comfortable with that and maybe even a little bit more vulnerable when we when we throw out our expectations with the parents and the kids at the beginning to, so they understand that that's coming um, you know then you're really starting to demonstrate that transformational leadership um, you know um, mo model if you will yeah yeah well Mike I, I think we're we're at a good place to kind of wrap it up for today um i don't want to i don't want to keep you here and, and turn this into a, a full-blown venting session for for rick and i here i think i feel i really feel like i got some stuff on my chest so so thanks for uh being a good listener um but you know to to close us out we we always just ask one final question at the the end of all of our episodes but do you just have any kind of final message or, or final thoughts for our listeners out there any young coaches out there when it when it comes just to to getting into new cultures, getting into new groups, and and kind of being aware of these social cultural constraints and things like that. Yeah, I mean, we said it an awful lot on on the show that we did for that period of time. But you know, take the time, really take the time to to investigate. You know, the community that you're involved in, get to get to know what some of those constraints actually are. Um, and you know, as a new coach, you know, be okay and comfortable in the journey of, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, you have to, you're going to have to try things. They're going to have to, uh, some of them are going to fail. A lot of them are going to fail, but that's, that's the nature of, of this industry. Um, but take the time to really understand, you know, I, I think as Mark recently put out the, the, the new blog, you know, you can't just take a, a carbon copy. You know something that's been used in another place um you know whether it's the croatian way and you just it yes principally if you read it and you and you take time to to analyze what's maybe being said in there there's going to be principles that you can adopt but as a whole it won't fit so you're going to have to come and probably innovate based on your own constraints yeah yeah well, great final thought there, and, and thanks again, Mike, for, for joining us today. It's been a, a pleasure to get to chat with you and, and get to learn from you and, and, and get to vent to you, so thank you. Yeah, I just enjoyed the, the chat, gents. As I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert in any of it. Um, I'm, uh, I'm just a curious uh, uh, you know, individual trying to consistently find new ideas and, and, and try and better my, uh, and sharpen my tools, so yeah. Yeah. So one more time, big thanks to Mike for taking the time and joining us here today. And also thanks to everyone who has been listening until here and who is still listening uh, in the outro to 
listen to our reflection so we can summarize and chat a little bit about our key takeaways. And the first thing I would like to mention, um, it's not really 100% related to the episode, but just about Mike uh, himself. Something I really, really like about Mike, just how curious he is about information, about projects. And I think also that that was a like, big, big point why the learning and development podcast has been so in, uh, interesting and so thought provoking because all the hosts and the guests, they were just really, really curious and they just wanted to explore and discover and having open discussions about any different topics. And we also hit uh, on some of the things here today in our discussion with Mike. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, you, you, you say it doesn't really relate, but then the conversation we had with Mike afterwards, which I wish we had still been recording because, you know, it does relate. Everything kind of relates back to the idea of sociocultural constraints and, and the, you know, the sociocultural constraints that are influencing Mike and his coaching and his life and everything like that leads to, you know, how curious he is and everything like that, which is really interesting when you dive into the subject. And it's such a broad subject in that sense. But then it's also, you know, how do we how do we narrow it down? How do we re research it more? How do we know more about it? So we can start to understand how these social cultural in constraints impact people, impact individuals and impact athletes and how they learn. And I think, you know, speaking about the curiosity thing, it's awesome awesome that he just kind of lets the curiosity guide his career pretty much and he finds what he's interested in and he goes after that because that's what motivates him that's what gets him going and gets him interested and engaged and everything like that and and i think if you want to if you want to kind of take something away from that what i take away from that is is that how do we get that for our athletes? How do we get them to be curious about what we're working on? And we talk about that a little bit uh, in the episode as well. But how do we get them to be wanting to do the things that we that we want that we need them to do and everything like that? And and how do we how do we get them engaged? How do we get them curious and everything like that? That that is something that it if you can if you can let it come from the athletes, I think that builds the motivation really a lot more but that was a really interesting part of the conversation for me because you know to be at that point where you just let your curiosity guide you you let your motivation guide you and everything like that that is i think something that's really powerful and overall your your work's going to be a lot better you're going to be a lot more built in or you're going to be a lot more dedicated to your work and work harder and everything like that as as mike mentioned as well and i think another interesting piece of the conversation for me was, you know, when we were talking about this kind of sports consumer idea, right? And and I think this is one of the big impacts of sociocultural constraints in youth sports, particularly, because, you know, you get so much influence to parents and everything like that about, you know, what what is the norm, you know, what is the tradition and everything like that. And then you end up with this kind of pay to play and pay more because you're playing at a higher level uh, kind of system. And it, it, it's so interesting why that happened and why that kind of shift happened into youth sports. And, and everyone talks about, I think, the, the professionalism of youth sports. And it, it, it it's sad to see for sure. But it's also interesting when you dive into it. Why is that happening? What are the what are the kind of cultural things that are happening, the societal things that are happening to cause that shift? 
and how do we start to reverse that and get play to be actually about the the play and not what you're paying yeah exactly and uh, also as, we, as mike has been mentioning um the social cultural constraints they're history historically historically embedded and i think um relating to, to your point they're also sometimes traditionally embedded and um especially because you mentioned that point that uh, pay more play more uh, or pay more you're gonna get better um that's like not 100 or at least i don't think that's 100 the right way and that's not the development oriented way and um for me it's just really nice to see because i'm actually right now in uh, maaza and that's why here's also a little bit background noise and we're recording this over my phone and I'm just at the hockey rink now because I'm, I'm visiting um, David Lajlo, who we had on our show, and also a good friend of mine, Yap Eugene. Um, I hope that we can still connect with him one day here on the show because his pathway is very interesting. But anyway, I, you know, I walked through the rink and uh, I've been saying, seeing David here right away. We have been chatting shortly. And uh, what they do, what they did today on a Saturday morning, uh, that we are under 14 and 13 kids, they just went on the ice and played five against five, no pressure, nothing, just just having fun and playing around and nothing with extra payment and you need to do that, you need to do this. And um, so it's not, it wasn't like really consume orientated. It was first of all fun orientated. Um, relationships have been built. Uh, David was very engaged, was very engaged on the ice. So and it's like very refreshing to see and this entire atmosphere is like um, exactly what it needs to be. So first of all, children can develop safely. And uh, secondly, we, we really give them the opportunity to uh, enjoy playing the game. And because I think we have been talking about this with Mike as well, that that's the most important point, not, not how much you, you're going to pay for something. Um, the most important uh, point is how much you actually get out of your experience. Yeah. And then, you know, what is the reaction? Like, like, if I just showed up on a Saturday morning at, at, you know, some of my practices when I was back in the States and, and I just played five on five, right? One morning I played um, capture the flag on the ice, which one of the players designed it was really interesting. But, you know, the, the norm is that, that that's a bad practice, right? And that that looks bad. And the parents think that that's bad and everything like that. So, you know, while we are kind of aware of the benefits of just going out and playing and doing different things on the ice sometimes and everything like that, you know, the the norm is, is that if they're just playing five on five, that's bad. They should be in lines. They should be, you know, making perfect passes and everything like that. And so it, it's really interesting there, like just looking at the cultural norms of practice and the, 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 constraints that are on the type of practices that you should be having and everything like that and we talked a little bit about the traditional pedagogy coaches and why they are so entrenched in those pedagogies and i i think that was a really interesting piece of the conversation as well because you know once you figure out why someone thinks the way that they do and then that takes conversation right that takes discussion that takes you know building a relationship with that person and everything like that you know what once you realize why then you can kind of start to i think that that leads to better coach education that leads to better discussion overall that leads to more open communication and you can kind of start to pull ideas from them you can start to maybe push ideas from you a little bit and everything like that and kind of 
you, you just overall have a better experience, I think, once you understand why someone thinks that the way they do and, and why, you know, and build that relationship to understand why. And, and sorry, it's our first outro in like seven weeks. I'm kind of stumbling over my words here, but I think everyone understands my point there. And I, I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, when you think about social cultural constraints, to me, it screams relationships. It screams knowing who you're working with, knowing where they come from, knowing their background, knowing their influences, knowing who is around them, what, you know, like their parents and their teachers and everything like that. So it's just overall really knowing who you're working with. I think also that relates a little bit to the point I've been making in the introduction, just study your own family background because let's say for example if, if you're in, if you're in your, your, your family um, it has been culturally embedded that um, you're going to earn the fruits or you're going to earn the seeds if you're going to hard work most likely you're going to pass this on and you're going to have this um, as well on yourself and i think um, again um, they are also also traditionally embedded and that's not only historically so because as you said like it's traditionally embedded that the practice has to look you need to play this pass, you need to shoot in this way, you need to do this in this way. So, And I think, to the point you have been mentioning, I think the one quote Mike has been mentioning during opposite fits perfectly because he said that the environment is changing and the coach needs to change with it. And I think that um, fits here in very well. Yeah. And I think the other piece of that quote too that, that was so interesting or the other side of it is, you know, if you want your players to develop, your, your coach has to be willing to develop as well. And, and it, they go hand in hand, right? Because you have to be willing to, um, in that sense, like kind of, and, and Mike said at the end, investigate the culture that you're in. So kind of develop your own, I, I, your own knowledge of who you're working with and everything like that. But then also trying to kind of push your own limits as a coach can kind of influence how your athletes behave as well and, and kind of motivate them to push their own boundaries as well and I, I think that that I don't know overall it was a really interesting conversation with Mike and and it was really interesting connecting afterwards all the little tangents we went on towards the second half of the episode how they all relate back to the topic the social cultural constraints you know whatever we talked about related back and that was that was kind of eye-opening to the power and the depth of social cultural constraints in my opinion yeah and that, that, that goes also back to just the being curious and i really like um the term or the phrase curious beings because we at the end of the day we have to curious curious beings in order that we have the opportunity to invest uh, and really like like that we can maybe maybe not making a change but that we can actually adapt and do things differently than uh they have been done before that because um, I don't know if Mike has been mentioning this in the episode, but I, I have it in my mind that because uh, one of the most dangerous sentences, like still, like this is the this is the way how we have been always done. Uh, this is the way how we have been always doing it, and that's why we are doing it still this way. So that's like, and maybe sometimes it feels a little bit uncomfortable, but that's that's I think that's that's very important that we overall try to do different things and let we try out new things in our environment and with our players and also with ourselves yeah for sure and i, I think you know it, overall it was just a an episode that you're it sounds like your coffee shop's getting busy there rick but anyway exactly. uh, <laughs> it, it was just an, an episode that really 
I really think it's a good place to start coming back from break because it's, it's such a good topic and everything like that. Um, but I think that's a, a good place to wrap it up for today's conversation before Rick gets pushed out of the coffee shop. But um, I think, you know, it's a, it's exciting to be back. Um, it's it's going to be a lot of fun this, this upcoming semester. Uh, just recording new episodes, new guests, new ideas, everything like that. So really looking forward to, to what's to come. And, and enjoy your weekend in Vasa, Rick, and say hello to David and, and Jen for me. And uh, until next time, um, we'll see everybody then. Um, and also thanks to Mike for joining us today again. Um, big shout out. So uh, connect with the show on social media. We're at The Coaches Road on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please uh, reach out to us if you want to connect. Our email is thecoachesroad.com, and you can also connect with us through our website, thecoachesroad.com. All right. Thanks. Bye.